Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we ask for your blessings upon this Bible study class that we're about to do this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would open our minds to the scriptures and help us to divide them aright. And Lord, to put them into practice each and every day of our life. And dear God, we also lift up those that were mentioned here this morning. We ask for your blessings and your healing upon them and their traveling mercies as they travel. Be with us now, for this is our prayer in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, couple of weeks back, I was sitting and sitting at cleaning at the house or something other Saturday. I can't remember what it was, but I wasn't forging. I guess it's too windy or something other. And I was in the house doing a few things, and Jehovah Witnesses come to the door. And, uh, of course, I went out and talked to them. They said, uh, we'd like to tell you about how to be happy in the coming year and how to have a happy marriage for the rest of your life. They said, can we come in and discuss it? And I told them, I said, well, I said, you're welcome to come in and discuss anything. I said, but I'll go to Church of Christ, and I, I know my Bible quite well, and I'll be glad to discuss anything you want to. And they just thanked me for my time and went ahead. Uh, but that got me to thinking. You know, I had some pretty good questions, and I said, well, I, I know all those things. And I started thinking about them in my mind and was turning some scriptures over. And as often as the case, whenever I start thinking and meditating on these scriptures, or even when you just open your Bible and you start reading them, Sometimes a passage will jump out at you and you'll see it in a light you've never seen it before. That's kind of what happened and what kind of what inspired this is uh, that passage. But before we get into that, I got a question. Uh, why do people get married? Why are some of the reasons people get married? Of course, uh, I'll jump up here and steal the first one, the easy one. Love. Love is probably uh, or should be the number one reason some people get married. The idea that you can't stand to be away from that person for a single moment. Uh, my mind always thinks about Diane and Mitchell Playforth. Uh, been in love since they was middle school or elementary or something like that. If Mitchell was sick and couldn't go to school, Diane would not go to school at all. She could not stand going to school, and she said, and not send him there. She would be that love sick for him, so she would just stay home too. And that's kind of the idea. Uh, you get married to show that person just how much you love them, how much you're willing to commit to them. To be locked together with no one else. All right, what are some of the other reasons, perhaps, that we get married? I was married too, so you can take the cure of me when I get old. <laughs> <laughs> that is? Yeah, he's, he's nine years younger than me, and I thought, sure, he could take care of me when I get old. <laughs> that is one. Yeah. <laughs> And that is one of the one of the things that come up with the aid uh, someone in difficult times. The Bible tells us two are better than one. Uh, if one falls down, the other one's to pick them up. Help in sickness and sadness. All right, what are some other reasons? God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helpmeet. So he didn't intend for God to be. Uh, God didn't intend for man to be alone by himself. That's it. He, he knew exactly. What his needs were. A helpmate, someone to help with children, with the work, uh, chores, decisions, all these different things. Me and Melvina watch a lot of reality shows that do with nature. 
like alone and, and all these shows. And about nine times out of ten, the thing that breaks them down the most is being alone. They can handle being naked out in Africa and all the lions and everything won't need them. That, that scares them, but that don't break them down. But the lack of human contact, the lack of being with someone and having someone to talk to, nine times out of ten, that's what makes them tap out and quit. <clears throat> what are some other ones? Uh, sex. Uh, people marry for sex. It's uh, a basic human desire. And uh, if God, we're made in God's image. And, and it should never be outside the marriage. But even when it is outside the marriage, it is so much better inside the marriage. Because it's a special type of intimacy. You don't have to worry about, am I going to get this? Am I going to get that? Or all these other things. And you don't have to worry about who is this person sleeping with, or, or at least you shouldn't. It's a special type of intimacy that you can only get in the marriage. Anyone else have any? I say friendship too. I've always said Deb is my best friend in the whole world. I've always, I've got lots and lots of people out here who about, but Deb is my best friend. Yeah, companionship, uh, someone that you can share your life with. What good does it go to see the Taj Mahal or, or when we went to New Orleans or Washington, D.C., if you've got no one to share with? Right. What's the point of life if all of these things you've got, there's no one to share or make memories with? It's, it's all kind of pointless without that companionship. Someone that you can talk to and bear your soul with, not have to worry about them judging you or, or anything else like that. It just, it just makes life worth living. I don't know. It's perfectly fine. <clears throat> it is. It is. That's why a lot of people, when they pass, their loved one passes or whatever, that person a lot of times will just, or what's the point of going on? And sometimes you'll see that person just, just give up. Uh, one of my co-workers, his mother, her grandmother just died. She was married 67 years to her only boy, only one she ever loved. And when he died... Uh, it took her two years, but she gave up living the day he died. And she just existed, but she, she didn't live any type of life at all. Any more? You hear about the shotgun wings, man. <laughs> shotgun wings? Arranged, man. forced or arranged. Uh, now, I mean, that's reason, but that is a reason sometimes people get married. Yes, it is. She's just really pretty, but I don't like her personality. I don't like the way she talks. Ugly people. 
kind of like the way she treats me. But she really, really is pretty. Pretty trumps everything else. And then that does not matter. Now, beauty fades. It does not matter. Uh, fear of being alone. I've seen people that's married just because of that factor. I've seen a people that perhaps lost a spouse or whatever, and they jump right into another marriage just because they can't stand the idea of being alone. Uh, going through life is scary, especially when you've got no one to go to or lean upon, uh, no one to help you with it. So. And sometimes people marry for money. Mm-hmm. Terrible reason. Terrible reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you marry somebody just because they got money, you really can't stand them hardly. And that's the last one I've got is security. Uh, as Roy said, that should not be your only reason. If it is, then it's you're you're going to be a miserable person throughout your life. But but also just for the idea, of someone that can uh, pick you up or someone that can aid you or lean upon. Uh, and security in that comes with only can come with a marriage. Like a marriage is a wedding; con- it's a contract. You know, like if you're just dating, well, that person get tired of you, he can walk away anytime he wants to. Uh, and one of the sad trends that's going on now uh, with the millennials is they have contracts. They don't get married anymore, but they have a relationship contract. And it's usually a three to five year contract, and then at the end of that contract, you have the option to renew. But you, at the end of that contract, if that person don't want it, the relationship's over, and you just you just move on, and you divide your stuff up or whatever. That's a sad, sad case. But uh, marriage is not like that. Marriage is meant to be a forever contract, uh, and take, taken very seriously. In fact, uh, adultery. If you read your Bible very much, you're going to see it's throughout the Bible. It's one of the things that God just absolutely detests. It's in the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. It's in all four of the Gospels. Uh, in fact, it's mentioned nearly 70 times. And there's only three other sins that's mentioned as much or maybe a little bit more than adultery. Any guesses on them? Uh, that's kind of close. The very first one is idolatry, which would kind of fit into that. But all, basically, it's just spiritual adultery. But blasphemy against God or coming against God. Uh, self-righteousness is, uh, is the uh, number one. And then murder, of course, is the other one. And then adultery is right in there. So right there, God says it's, it's on kin to murder. Uh, so it's something that God takes very seriously and we do as well or should as well. Okay, now as promised back to that scripture, it kind of keyed all this and brought us to the beginning. If someone would, go ahead and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't mind, read verses 21 through 33. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, do me a favor and go back and read verse 32 one, one more time. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Okay, this is what caught my attention as I was thinking this scripture over, and it never really had, had grabbed me like it done here, but everything that is said from, chapter, from uh, verse 21 to 31 can be applied to me and you and to our world, but also is applied to us and to Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, think about it. Jesus Christ left the Father. He left his father and mother. He left the Father, left heaven behind, and came to be married to us to here dwell here on this earth. He left his mother as well, uh, didn't he? Uh, someone go and read Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. Same thing is repeated in Mark uh, 3, verses 31 through 34. So here we see Jesus is saying, I love my mother dearly, but it's time for me to leave my mother behind and go take care of my bride, put her first, that is us, the church. Now he didn't, he still honored his mother and his father. You see, even up on the cross, he's making sure mom's took care of by telling John that. But he moved the priorities and put it over here and focused on, on us, his bride. And then in baptism, in the Old Testament, you had the circumcision was the, was the ceremony. But for us, it's wedding rings. You get married, you put on the wedding band, everything else. Same thing with us in baptism. When we get put on in baptism, we're becoming one with Christ. He's promising her to do his part, and we're going to do our part. So with all that in mind... Ben, I'm just saying one thing. Uh, you know, you talk about Christ and the church, and I agree with that 100%. If you leave the church... You, in essence, have created, have committed adultery against Christ. Yes. Because He is your husband. You're the bride. The church is the bride. And when you say, I choose to leave the church, you know, for whatever reason, go back into the world, you've committed spiritual adultery with Christ. And uh, and you just said that was the third most uh, mentioned sin, you know, in the Bible. And uh, it's, it's extremely serious when you leave the church. Uh, yes. it's, uh, I can't emphasize that enough. It just... It, Divorce is extremely serious. When people divorce, it's a terrible thing. There's nothing good about divorce. And when someone divorces the church, it's a, you know, divorces Christ, and they leave the church, then there's nothing good about that either. No. There's nothing good about that. And we need to preach and teach that more than we do because it's pretty common affair anymore to hear people get divorced and you hear it all the time, you know, and, and surprises sometimes. But it's just people are pretty uh, flippant about it, you know. Well, I don't love him anymore. I'm moving on. You know, I don't love her anymore. I'm just moving on. Uh, and that and people do the same thing to church. Why don't you quit coming to church? Mm, I'm not getting anything out of it. I don't love it anymore. I'm moving on. And that's a, that's a very flippant attitude, but a very bad attitude. Yes. We, you don't understand the seriousness of, of the relationship. 
I think a lot of times people certainly don't understand the seriousness of the relationship with church. I'll go once a week. I'll go once, one hour a week if I feel like it. Make nothing on TV and ain't got anything better to do. And that's just, you can't have a marriage that way. You cannot have a marriage that way. And some people would try to have a marriage relationship, spiritual marriage relationship with Christ and just show up once a week, you know, for an hour. It's never, it just don't happen. No. It can't happen. No. We're going to look at the end of it, which I may move it to the foreign if we start to run out of time. But one of the passages that talks about our bodies are not our own. Right. And never for the wife to refuse the husband right. or the husband to refuse the wife any kind of intimacy. Right. And when you put that into practice with us and God, it's the same thing. Nothing should interfere with us coming to church or, or serving or working with God. But yeah, we're going to be taking a detailed look at that here in just a little bit. It's very serious. And, you know, I think sometimes people would get the false assumption that church is just, well, it's four hours a week, you know. Well, it's, 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 it's a, what, 168 hours, 168 hours a week church. Is, you know? I'm in the church when I'm laying in the bed at night, aren't you? Yeah. You're absolutely, if you die in the bed at night, you're in the church. Uh, if you die at work on Monday morning, you're still in the church, okay? Now, you have other obligations and duties, and you're not in a, in a, in a worshipful situation all the time. But you're always in the church. And if you're not, you know, if you're at the bar on Friday night, you know, every Friday night, you're still in the church, but it's, it's, a, it's certainly a bad situation. You're being unfaithful to your spouse. If you're at the bar on Friday night, or if you're gambling on Saturday morning, you know, whatever things you might be doing. You're out with your girlfriend on Tuesday night. You're, you may still be in the church, but it's a shaky relationship. Yeah. It won't last. It won't last. And God, and God won't have it. No. He will not have. He will present, Jesus will present the church to God holy, without spot, without blemish. And so if you're not in the church, you're not going to be without spot, you're not going to be without blemish, and you're not going to be presented to God for salvation. Yeah. All right. So what I want to do now is we're going to look at some of the Bible passages that speak about husbands and wives and their relationships. And then we're going to see how they should apply to us here earthly. And then we're going to see how they should apply to us spiritually as well. Uh, first one we just went through, Daniel just went through, read that. And that's uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. So we see in there that the wife is to submit. That is to yield to, to give way to, to accept governance and authority over them to obey. And then we see that the wife is to Reverence, that is, deep respect, to honor, to bow down towards. Now, with those two things in mind, all right, now I want to talk about how that looks earthly, and then again, like I said, how that should be applying to us spiritually. So to earthly things, how should that look in a marriage? Obeying and reverence. Everybody kind of afraid to speak on that? <laughs> A good leader, and, and 
Do not put any political connotations on this at all. This is not meant to be. But a good leader, for example, President Trump, not saying, again, this is not political, not saying good. or But he says, there's a lot of things I don't know. And so he said, I just make it a habit of putting very smart people around me who do know what I don't know. And he uses their input to make the best decision possible. There's an old saying, anything without a head is dead and anything with two heads is a freak. There has to be one person that is in charge or otherwise you're going to be all over the road. That's probably the thing that is most difficult, like when you are first getting married or about to get married. Yes. Is however long the gap was from when you sort of left home to when you got married, you kind of made all of your decisions. And I, you know, I know as a 19-year-old, I mean, I still was connected to home, and I still did things, and, you know, when I did things, I thought, what would mom or dad say about this? But ultimately, I, you know, it was my decision. And when you get married, you know, you've got two people that have spent five, six, seven years sort of making their own decisions. And when you come together, sort of like what Josh was saying right there, there has to be some kind of an understanding amongst the two sides. Because if you say, I want it my way all the time, well, you're not really respecting the other person. And, you know, in many ways you're saying, well, hey, you know, my way's right, I know what's best, I, you know, and, and I've got the scripture back up or whatever. But finding sort of that understanding, what I hear from people that have been married for longer periods of time, and I'm starting to see it with Mary as well, is that, like, now, I pretty much already know what her thought is going to be on it before it even comes up. You know, and like our decisions are almost made before they're before they even become an issue because you've been together so long and you know each other for long enough that you kind of that that respect it, it sort of gets there. Now it's not there on you know the fifth day of your marriage because you're still trying to work out. You know, I've been independent now. I've got a connection, but it, I think you know in a good healthy marriage it'll get it gets to that point where that respect, like what Josh was saying right there, you know, where both sides hear and understand and then kind of almost know what's going to be before it comes up. Does that make sense? Yes, it's not a, a slave-master relationship or anything like it. It should be a leadership role. And that's, not, like I said, not a boss. You stay down here and keep my foot on it, but, but a leadership role. Uh, we're going to look at the husband's responsibility here in just a second. But but that's the way it should be treated uh, all right, some of the women want to comment on some of this. What does that look to you to honor and respect or to obey and reverence husbands? What does, what does some of y'all's input on that? Yeah. Yeah. says submit means to obey. That's the one in the passage that Daniel read. And then also you're going to see it in uh, Colossians 3, 18 through 19, Titus 2, 4 through 5, so 1 Peter 3, 1 through 9. So you're saying the word submit means to obey? Yes. And men, men have to understand the word submit too because men are in the church and Christ is the head of the church. We, if we don't, if we say, well, I know Christ is in charge of the church, and this is how he wants things done, but I, I disagree with that. Well, you aren't submitting. No. You aren't obeying, and you are not in favor with Christ, okay? So men have, have to submit as well. 
we all submit to the Lord. And this, in this instance here, in the marriage situation, the woman actually submits to the husband. Well, it says judicate as long as he's in the Lord. Okay? Yes. Now, when he gets out of the Lord, that's another situation when the husband is. Uh, what was that verse in Colossians? Colossians 3, 18 through 19. Okay, and as Roy brought up, then we see how to apply that spiritually. Uh, so as, as we said, the same way we need to be doing that to God, uh, not questioning His authority. He, he said these things, okay, well, He said it, then He must have reason to it, so I'm going to submit to His governance, to His authority in all things. And Ben, I think we need to go back to the, the reason that it is, is God says the woman was first deceived and not man. Okay? And that, in a sense, is why the man is in charge. Okay? Uh, that's what, and it's God's plan. It's not my plan. It's not Ben's plan. It's not Josh's plan. It's God's plan. Okay? And God's plan is perfect. It's just like we lay in store on the first day of the week. That's a perfect plan. Okay? Don't need to alter it. Don't need to change it. Don't need to, it, we need to obey it and, and respect it. The same thing with the husband and wife situation. We need to not alter it, not think about changing it, respect it, and obey it. And, and, we're, and we're good. Yeah. If the husband is the right kind of person, there's no way in this world I won't do anything that would beat down deep or, or mistreat her. Because I love her as I love myself, okay? And God knows if you got the right kind of marriage and you love your wife, and you're not going to be mean to them. You're not going to be berate them or fuss at them or, you know, all that stuff. You're going to love them just like you love yourself. Yeah. And they will look to that and they will admire that, okay? And just like the husband admires the way his wife treats him, they will both, the, the admiration as Jill said, it just grows and grows and grows. I love them with all my heart in 1977, October 15th. But it ain't, it's nothing compared to the way it is 42 years later. No. It's not anything close to that. Because you know? we've had children and grandchildren and experienced death and the highs and lows of lifetime, you know. And uh, so there is there is no way a good husband will mistreat his wife. No. And there is no way a good wife would mistreat her husband. There's just no way. Now, sometimes one party does mistreat the other one, and there has to be divorce and things because of that, you know, because you can't stay with somebody that, you know, is mistreated like that. Uh, so we're talking about, we're talking about mutual. If man and wife do like God says, it'll be a wonderful marriage. Yeah. And it'll be the best life possible. Uh, then going on to husbands, it says, now the husband is to love his wife. Now, if to hate something is to love something less than uh, yourself or something else, then to love means that you love that thing or that person more than all else in your life except for, of course, you know, God. So for husbands, when it says to love your wife... You love that wife more than yourself, more than anything else in this world. Don't put your job, don't put anything else above your wife. If you do, then you hate your wife. So when we says to love our wife, we are to uh, love them beyond all else. It also says the husband is responsible for sanctifying, to keeping her pure. That means to make holy, to set apart, to devote, to purify, uh, and to keep pure. So that is the husband's responsibility in the household. A lot of husbands kind of shirk this and leave all their spiritual and religious things. Well, we'll let, the, we'll let the woman handle that. 
No, you've just broken God's, what he's told you the marriage is supposed to be. It's the husband's role or husband's responsibility to make sure that his family is godly, that his wife is set apart, uh, should be praying, fasting for her all the time, should be everything he can possibly do. And then earthly to treat her as sacred. That is, you honor her, you take care of her, you set her as your prized possession, as we said earlier. So now how can we do this earthly and how do we do it spiritually? Or any comments from you all about this? Well, in the Bible, when you go back and you don't care of Adam and Eve, and when they was married, they killed you in the Bible. When they killed you in the verse 22, and Adam said, This is bone in my bone, and flesh in my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of men. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, if woman and man gets married, they could kill me as one. It actually does. When it talks about Genesis, it says that the woman's desire will be for her husband and he will rule over or will rule over her. talks about there, uh, that, that, that's a different matter. We're kind of getting off subject. We'll, we'll save that for another time, but that's, that's a different matter. But I think the point that what uh, Raymond said from Genesis chapter 2 is valid there in that, you know, you can, everybody goes back to the same, you know, same place. And God's creation was made you know, with, with, with a plan in, in mind, so to speak. And, you know, I think the, when you're thinking, when you're thinking about marriage, is that the most important thing is to do whatever is best to help 
each other. Yes. And so you wanted, you know, you said at the beginning you wanted to make the connection between husband, wife, literal marriage, and church, Christ, church, Christ, uh, spiritual marriage, whatever, however you describe it. And, and the example that Christ says is that His willingness to do whatever He could for the church, die for the church. Well, if the husband is doing what's told in Ephesians, then that should include willingness to die for the wife. Absolutely. The, the wife then should be show that appreciation to be willing to be willing to die for the husband. I mean, that's not the words that it says, but you know, it is the same kind of thing. And that's kind of what Raymond said right there. Both sides should be working towards the same goal. If Christ has done so much for us as a church, then what should we do as a church for Christ? Absolutely. You know, we, you know, if we sit back and say. Christ took care of everything. We're good. You know, I don't have to do anything. Well, it's the same kind of thing. If the, if the wife says, well, my husband's got this. I don't have to worry about anything. It's not going to be effective. And the church can't be effective if the people aren't working for Christ. Because Christ worked for the church during his life. Christ still works for the church even about 2,000 years later through the word and through the teaching and all of that. And it, it's... Both sides are working toward the same goal. And, and that's where, you know, if you go back to Genesis, that's where Adam and Eve fell short. You know? yeah. And that's where my wife and I will fall short. And that's where <coughs> us in Christ will fall short. Because a lot of times we find ourselves not working toward the same goal. And Adam and Eve's relationship was good, could have been better. Mine and my wife's relationship, or anybody who's married's relationship is good, but could be better. And a lot of times the church relationship is good, but could be better. Because we kind of stop working toward the goal that's beneficial for everyone. Yes. That 100%. We're about to run out of time, so I'm going to skip ahead here. Uh, and before we do run out of time, I want to talk a little bit about what, what we talked about earlier about the uh, being in the church or being away from the church. Uh, someone go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's see here. I think it's the place that I want to And read verse uh, 6, 19, and then stay right there because I want you to read another one after that. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and there you will hop one, pass one chapter over and read another one. Now turn over one chapter and read chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except the all right, then we've got several other passages that we, we won't have time to read, but Genesis 2, 24, Matthew 19 and 5, Mark 10 and 8, uh, Ephesians 5, 31, all kind of have the same thing. Your body is not your own, your two or it should be one flesh. And never to deprive or withhold yourself from the other one. Uh, and of course we all, or we think we might know what that looks like in a marriage, but it's not just talking about in the bedroom. Right. If your wife needs you to hold her, 
then you hold her. If your wife needs you to sit and hold her watching TV or whatever, you do that. You need to put her interests, her desires above your own. Same way with the husband. Whatever the need may be, you be there for that person. And now apply that to Jesus Christ and us as his wife or his bride in the church. Christ has told us in his book what all he needs us to do and what he wants us to do, how he wants to be held, all these different things. And as the wife or the bride of Christ, we need to make sure we're doing these things. Not out here with someone else holding them. Not out here putting their things above Christ's. We need to make sure that we have ourselves 100% available to Jesus Christ to do His will. Ben, I've always tried to tell young people whenever, before they get married or after they've been, I always say, when you get married, you marry the whole bunch. And that's true. If you, if you, if you marry a girl and she's got five brothers in the penitentiary, you marry them too, okay? You know, not good. But she's got issues, okay? This girl has got issues. She's got five brothers in the penitentiary, maybe mom and dad, okay? When you get into, you get that whole thing, it all comes to Ben whenever Ben marries this girl. And when you marry Susan, she's got all this situation. You know, if, if you marry Susan, all of her relatives are drug addicts, you know, and, you know, bad people. Uh, you get that whole bunch. You're going to deal, you're going to deal with that because uh, it's, a, it's part of her life, and then it becomes part of your life. And so I think that's important for us to understand, you know, because uh, uh, you do get the whole bunch. Whenever the wife's parents are going through difficult times, She's going to be emotionally troubled by that, and you need to be there to hold her to help you get through those times. Just like she'll have to help you when you, the troubles come to you, and that most likely will come. Absolutely. Any more comments or anything before we close it up? Well, I thank you all for your attention this morning, for your participation. And really good thank you.